There is this uh, psychologist that probably many of you have have heard of before uh, from Switzerland, and his name is Jean Piaget. And what he is really known for is a lot of his work and development in child psychology. And one of the things that he is known for a lot is kind of helping us understand like some different stages of development um, in kids. And so like one of these stages we know as like the sensory motor stage. And, you know, we've, if you've spent time with a child, it's likely you've had some kind of a blanket. This is a baby blanket that I recommend um, if you want to have a life of suffering. And you know, sort of how this works, right, is there's some glory in it, but it takes a long time. And, and you know how this is, right? You'll kind of like hide yourself from, from the kid, and then you'll just like do the peekaboo thing, right? You, we've all done this. Well, it's amazing why that works, right? Like, and then you can like do it again, and then you hide. And as kids get older, they're like, yeah, I know you're behind the blanket. But before they reach that stage, for kids, it doesn't exist if they can't see it, right? Well, and then what happens, maybe like at age six months or seven months, separation anxiety starts. Well, why does separation anxiety start? Well, because they have entered that stage where they realize that there's more going on than what they can actually see. And I think that's a really powerful picture and example of what this entire series has been about for us. This conversation we've been having about kings and kingdoms and wanting to make sure that we serve the king who is worthy, the one king who is worthy, and we reject all of the other false kings and we want to make sure that our feet stay planted in the right kingdom. Because there's lots of kingdoms that would love our partnership. They would love our obedience. They would love for us to find ourselves planted in their kingdom. The tricky thing is, and why I think this is so hard for us, is because we are surrounded by kings and kingdoms we can actually see. But we are called to be a part of this kingdom that is largely unseen. And we are called to make the invisible visible through our obedience and through our faithfulness and through God's power. It's interesting what happens with kids, though, because they reach that six-month, seven-month, and then something happens to them as they begin to play. And if you ever notice a kid does not need a lot to play. They have an amazing imagination. And so I can remember my son Griffin being a few months old, maybe a year, and I I drop him off at daycare for the first time alone, right? And it's very traumatic for everyone. And he's crying because I'm the best dad that he's, that's in all of history, that's obvious, I'm just kidding. But he cries because he knows that I'm absent. But then to watch him start to imagine and play, right? And so he can be in the backyard, and the backyard turns into a baseball diamond. And it's the ninth inning of the seventh game of the World Series, and Garrett Cole is pitching, maybe the best pitcher in the major leagues. And he just hits home run after home run after home run after home run. 
Well, how is that possible? How is it possible for that development that at one time, the only thing that I felt was true was what I could see to turning our backyard into a baseball diamond? Well, that's happened because he has embraced what he cannot see. And so he's created for himself in his mind this understanding that there's just more going on than what is right in front of him. And he actually gets to create, in a sense, where he stands. And I just think that's an important word for us. Like, how do we do that? How do we step into that way of living, that way of thinking, that mindset Like, how do we put away the false kings of the earth and the false kingdoms of the earth? And I'm so glad you asked, because I want to tell you today, I just believe it's going to shock you. So I just want you to be ready. Everybody's going to fall over. The way that you do that is through prayer. I know. That's the one thing you did not expect a pastor to say on a Sunday morning coming to church, is that the way that you battle false kings and false kingdom is through prayer. So I know I've just blown all of your minds today, this freezing cold day. So you are welcome. But that's how it's going to work out for us because the truth of our experience is that we are going to constantly battle false kings and false kingdoms. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, We uh, made this little bookmark for you, which I'm very excited about. Probably a little too excited about. So uh, it should be in the pocket. We have these fancy chairs with pockets, right? It's good to have pants with pockets. It's awesome also to have chairs with pockets. And it's right in front of you. And, And this is kind of an outline of the prayer that we see Solomon pray in 1 Kings chapter 8. So the kingdom has passed from Saul to David to now David's son, Solomon, and this temple is constructed. This amazing structure where the Israel would have gathered to worship God. And there's people who have tried to kind of figure out how much it would cost to build that kind of temple today. And it's crazy figures, crazy money. Like we're talking about like $145 billion, one scholar said. So this is like an incredible structure that is built. And once the structure is built, Solomon prays a prayer of dedication. And it's not a quick little prayer. It's not a short little prayer. It's not a bedtime prayer or a a dinnertime prayer or a prayer when you go past a police officer and you're waiting in the river mirror to see if he's going to turn towards you or if she's going to turn the other way. Not that kind of prayer. It's a long prayer. It has seven parts. And I thought, how brilliant. There's seven days in a week. So maybe what we could do as a church is we could pray through this prayer during the season of Lent, which starts on Wednesday. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. So 1 Kings chapter 8, here's the prayer. I'm going to kind of do it in parts, and I kind of want to walk you through the bookmark, and then we can go back into the frozen tundra. Everybody in? All right, good. Great. Feel free to eat the candy. So 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 31, is part of this prayer from Solomon. When a man wrongs his neighbor and is required to take an oath, and he comes and swears the oath before your altar in this temple... Then hear from heaven and act. Judge between your servants, condemning the guilty and bringing 
down on his own head what he has done. Declare the innocent not guilty, and so establish his innocence. So this prayer is a prayer of justice. And justice is this huge theme in the Bible. Like we could spend years and years and years talking about biblical justice. But there's a, there's a moment that Solomon is thinking about when two people have a very different opinion about what the truth is. And so when these people come to the temple, the prayer from Solomon is that, God, would you reveal truth in this dispute? And I would tell you today, I think the person that we have a dispute most with is not a coworker, not somebody in our house, but with ourself. I think we spend a lot of time fighting with ourselves over what is true and what is false. And if we're going to embrace this prayer, it's just one sentence that I wrote down, God lay truth upon my heart today when I turn from it. So what we can pray during Lent, like on Monday morning, Monday afternoon, and Monday night, God, would you lay truth upon my heart when I turn? Because I want to be a person of truth. And there's a way that I can live in the world that is unjust when I live according to a lie. And so it's, it's inviting the Spirit of God to, to touch whatever is in here that is not of Him. If there's some kind of attitude in here, some kind of mindset, some kind of way of living, it's inviting God who is pleased to speak truth into our life. It's being open to that, to live with justice. So let's talk about Tuesday. Second part, verse 33. When your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave to their fathers. So Tuesday is a prayer of rescue. If Monday is a prayer for justice, Tuesday is a prayer of rescue. It's just simple, like God carry me out of. Like God, would you carry me out of this mindset? out of this way of thinking about myself and about you and about your people? Or God, would you carry me out of this attachment? Would you rescue me? There's this thing in my life and I'm just attached to it. Or God, would you rescue me? Would you carry me out of this pattern? Like there's a thing that I just kind of keep going back to again and again and again and again. We've joked about this before, but many of you sit in just the same place every time. And I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not saying that's wrong. It's just sort of who we are. And this on Tuesday is a prayer out of those things that are not of God. I think we are a people who need rescue. And so let's go to, to Wednesday. Verse 35, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you and when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you've afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them 
the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. So I want to talk to you about 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17, there's King Ahab and the whole king of Israel and all of Israel. And what happens in 1 Kings 17 is that the people have sinned, they have disobeyed, they have not been faithful. And so there's a consequence for that unfaithfulness, for that disobedience. And the consequence is it stops raining. Not just for a week, not just for a month, but for three years. Not a single drop of rain. If you know anything about agriculture, know anything about farming, you know that's a problem. Because rain is the grace that causes things to grow. And so what happens to crops that don't get any rain? They die. What happens to a people who base all of their security and identity on those crops? What happens to their soul? What happens to their belief in God who has promised to provide? Like what happens when the heavens are shut up? Like what happens to a person's life? And so Elijah, this prophet, he comes on the scene in 1 Kings 17 and he cries out for mercy, for, for God to provide. And this amazing thing happens that after three years of drought, of no rain, of the heavens being shut up, it begins to rain. Can you imagine being in that moment? Can you imagine being a seven-year-old child and you have heard your parents talk about the drought? I'm like, oh, God, would you send rain? And then in that moment, you see it happen and you see the joy. And joy follows the grace of God. And so this one sentence prayer, God opened the heavens, ending this drought of. So I wonder like what kind of drought you're in. I wonder what you have been talking to God about. I wonder what kind of grace you are in need of. I wonder if Wednesdays during Lent you could pray towards that provision. And of course, the people of Israel don't deserve the heavens to be open, but God, out of his scandalous, abundant grace, opens it, and the land is filled with his grace. And things begin to grow, and people flourish again. So Monday's a prayer for justice. Tuesday, a prayer for rescue. Wednesday, a prayer for provision. And then you can flip the bookmark over. Be careful, the edges are sharp. That's one thing I didn't think all the way through. Should have smoothed those out a little bit. So please don't hurt yourself or others. Verse 37, when famine or plague comes to the land or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, gotta look out for them, or when an enemy besieges them in any of their cities, whether disaster or disease may come, and when a prayer or plea is made by any of your people Israel, each one aware of the afflictions of his own heart. It's so interesting, so powerful. Some translations say the plagues of his own heart. That's pointing us back to Egypt. And spreading out his hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. For, I love this. Forgive and act. Deal with each man according to all he, all he does. 
since you know his heart, for you alone know the hearts of all men, so that they will fear you all the time they live in the land you gave our fathers. So Thursday is a prayer of deliverance. So God, forgive me and move according to your power. I want to tell you about 2 Kings chapter 18. There's a king of the southern kingdom of Judah, and his name is Hezekiah. And so Israel, as we've talked about before, it's split in two. You have the northern kingdom, Israel. You have the southern kingdom, Judah. So Hezekiah is in that southern kingdom. And then I want to tell you about King Sennacherib. King Sennacherib, who's he? He's the king of Assyria. And Assyria is an enemy of Israel. And so King Sennacherib, he gathers all of his soldiers. And what happens, Dave? What happens is Judah gets surrounded. Jerusalem gets surrounded. And they are in trouble. It's a dark day. And what happens? Hezekiah does what? He does what Elijah did. He cries out to God for deliverance and power. And God forgives and he acts. And so I just wonder what kind of deliverance we need in our day and time. Like, I wonder what kinds of things, as you look out your window, like you just see falling apart in your life, in your world, in your heart, in your soul, and you just need deliverance. I wonder if on Thursdays you could begin praying towards that. It's maybe something that has been outside your window for a long, long time. And it's not something that you talk about really with anybody and you have a really a hard time even talking about it with yourself. Like, would this be a space and a time for you to sit with the Spirit of God and ask for God to deliver you even when you see all of the soldiers of Sennacherib at your door? That's Thursday. Friday is a prayer for outsiders. Verse 41, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your great name, for men will hear your great name in your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward his temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel. And may know that this house I have built bears your name. So just the one sentence prayer for Friday is, God, use me to draw someone who considers them an outsider toward you. Here's what's beautiful about outsiders. Outsiders are not like someone else. Like if you ask the Bible, any child who does not grow up praying the Torah Praying the Shema, celebrating the Sabbath is an outsider. Like Paul will say, like, we are grafted into the story of God by his grace and mercy and kindness. It's not anything to do with our biology. It's everything to do with his grace and his love. It's everything to do with what Jesus did on on the cross. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is promised that he's going to be the father of many nations. Like all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through Abraham. And his descendants are going to be more than the stars in the sky. Ever tried to count those? 
like more than every grain of sand on every seashore. And if you ask me, okay, like what happens to the Bible if you take the nations out? Like if the nations are removed from Scripture, you have a bunch of charts and maps is what you have left. Because God's heart is for the nations. And so we have these two women in the Old Testament who are outside of Israel. The first one I want to talk about is Rahab. Well, who's Rahab? Well, she's a Canaanite. And Canaanites and Israelites don't get along very well. Like the Canaanites were the people who were living in the land that was promised to Israel. And then we have this other woman named Ruth. Well, who's Ruth? Well, Ruth is a Moabite. She's a person that's outside of the nation of Israel. And these women become grandmothers of Solomon. And I just believe when Solomon is praying this, I just think it would be impossible for him not to know about those grandmothers and not be thinking about those grandmothers. Because the, the God that he knows is the, the God of the nations that seeks to bring someone who is or considers themselves far away from God and brings them close. And I think we also just need to say this today that I think it's important to, to recognize what is the kind of exponential growth of the kingdom of God that is happening outside of North America. Like if, if I could drop you in Iran this morning, you would find a flourishing church. You would find an exploding church. If I could get everybody on a plane, and if I could drop you in China, what would you find? You would find a flourishing network of churches. Uncontainable. Like the government can't stamp it all out. It's just growing and growing and growing and growing. It's like when Jesus says, like when the yeast works its way through all of the dough, you can't pull the yeast out of it because the yeast has just taken over. If I could get everybody on a plane today and I could drop you in another place in Southeast Asia, what would you find? You would find a flourishing church, an exploding church. And here's what I believe today. I believe the, the church in Iran and the church in China and the church in Southeast Asia, they're very aware of what is happening in the church in America. And I just believe with everything that I have is that they are praying for you and for me. I think it would be impossible to find a church in Iran, a house church in China, or another church in Southeast Asia that are not aware of what's happening here and who are not on their knees for us. And oh, the grace that that is. Oh, the power that that is. Oh, the strength that we can find in that. Because we have all been grafted into the story of God. And we didn't grow up Israelites. But the promise that was given to them finds its way in our hearts. And thank you, Jesus, for that. That's Friday. We're almost done. Saturday, verse 44. When your people go to war against their enemies, wherever you send them, and when they pray to the Lord toward the city you have chosen in the temple I have built for your name, then hear from heaven upon their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. So Saturday, a prayer for victory. God, empower me where you have sent me today. 
So I need to talk to you about Jehoshaphat. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat is another king of Judah. And the Ammonites and the Moabites have surrounded Judah again. And they're going to destroy it. And they're going to burn it to the ground. And Jehoshaphat has this amazingly powerful prayer. And what does he pray? This is 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12 and following. He says, God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God, would you empower me where you have sent me today? So this is not victory in places you've not been sent by God. That's not what this is. This is not some kind of like prosperity thing. Some kind of fancy life kind of deal. No, no, no. It's, it's power where you have been sent. And so how, however that works out for you in your life, know that you have a name that you can call upon in that place that God has sent you. And God will not send you anywhere where he will not be faithful and kind and present and able in that place. And then we get to Sunday. Verse 46, When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them, and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to his own land far away, or near, and if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their conquerors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly, and if they turn back to you with their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward the land you gave their fathers, toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven, hear from heaven, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you, forgive all of their offensives they've committed against you and cause their conquerors to show them mercy. For they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of that, notice this, iron-smelting furnace. May your eyes be open to your servants' plea and to the plea of your people Israel, and may you listen to them wherever wherever they cry out to you. This is beautiful, for you singled them out of all of the nations of the world to be your own inheritance, just as you declared through your servant Moses when you, O sovereign Lord, brought our fathers out of Egypt. So what's Sunday? Sunday's a prayer of restoration. It's a prayer of repentance. Like, oh, that God would forgive us. So God, would you change my heart up? And a lot of times when we talk about like what's dangerous about sin, what's dangerous about our brokenness, what's dangerous about our propensity to, to hate, our propensity to be ruled by pride, like what's so powerful about it when some people talk about it is like, well, no, it's, what's powerful about sin is that it will blind us. And I think that's true. I think it definitely does blind us to, to what is true and what is good and what is beautiful, what we are to be about. But I think there's something more. I think what's really dangerous about sin and our brokenness is that it blinds us to our blindness so that we can walk around believing that we're not blind, believing that it doesn't apply to us, believing that it applies to someone else. What's powerful about sin is not that it blinds us. What's powerful about it is that it blinds us to our blindness. So Sunday 
is an opportunity for us to ask God, like, God, would you show me the place that I'm blind? Will you show me the place that I'm missing? Because this prayer of Solomon finishes up knowing that people are going to go into exile again. I'm going to invite the band up as we close today. Like, they're going to be exiled again. Babylon's going to come and going to crush the people of Israel. And they're going to be sent to this country that they don't belong, a language they don't know, the, the music that they've never heard, food they've never tasted. And gods that they're going to be tempted to bow down to. But Solomon says, when they turn, when they repent, would you carry them back to this place? Would you carry them back into the land that you gave, not just to them, but to their fathers? And so Wednesday is the beginning of a season called Lent. And we travel with Jesus and the disciples like through this 40-day experience of coming to grips with his suffering, with his sacrifice, and the kind of people that we are called to be because of his resurrection. And so maybe you have a plan for Lent. I know some people are, we've got our notebook all ready to go and our Bible study, and awesome, that's great. That's amazing. You are more on the ball than most. But if I had to guess, I think for a lot of us, maybe we weren't really sure about this next season of life. And I think that this might be a great thing for you to, to pray, that on Monday would you pray for justice to be done in our world and in you. And Tuesday, a prayer for rescue. Wednesday, a prayer for provision. Thursday, a prayer for deliverance. Friday, a prayer for outsiders. Saturday, a prayer for victory. And Sunday, a prayer of restoration. We're going to be talking about this uh, for the next several weeks. We're going to start a, a Lent series that we started last year, but then we got interrupted. You know, remember that? That was great. So the first two weeks messages I did last year, uh, my friends uh, Adam C. from Richie Hutchinson are going to lead you through those, and then we'll continue where we left off uh, about a year ago. But like, would you consider praying through this? I made it big enough so that hopefully you don't lose it. Apparently, I also made it dangerous with those sharp edges. But I pray that you would put it somewhere where you're going to see it, where you're going to find it, in your car, in your bathroom, by the cereal, wherever, I don't know, wherever that is, by the coffee maker, wherever you're going to see this. And, and man, what would happen to us as a community? What would happen to you if even just taking five minutes on Monday to pray, pray for the justice of God? in you and in the world. Like, how would your heart be shaped? How would this church be shaped? Would we have a little bit more clarity to who we've been called to be? Will you stand? We're going to sing one more song together.